Welcome to Observations from Life. This is your host, Scott, and I'm looking forward to having a great conversation with you today. Thank you so much for listening in. Today we're going to talk about shadow work. Um, this is a almost a part two to my last podcast episode where I talked about looking for the good in others, trying to find a way to see the divine in people, even when their behavior or their beliefs or their attitudes or things that often are, you know, repugnant, whatever word you want to use. They're just something that doesn't um, sit well with us. And that's tough. It's tough when you have political differences, when you have religious differences. It's just one of those things that that I think people struggle with a lot. And so in talking about that, I, I've been doing some reading about light workers. I think I mentioned this before. And, and basically a light worker is a person, I think anybody can be one, um, I think in many ways, if I think about my life and my career and my ministry when I was in the Christian religion and even now the way that I try to work with people and and, and help people, probably I, you you could broadly say I fit in that category. But but so I started reading more about what is a light worker and it's really someone that is working to try to help humanity move forward in some way. They are, you know, their, their job, their goal, their role in life is to bring light and love into the world. It's pretty simple. And so, like I said, I think anybody, you know, I mean, I know people every day that do these things that probably don't even think of themselves in that way, but it's, it's, it's a spiritual approach. Um, it involves, you know, trying, as I said in my last episode, trying to see the divine in others, trying to help bring people along that path that I described, that you may be ahead of them. And again, there's other people ahead of you. So anyway, when I was reading, one of the things that it said is in order to work on your light work, in order to be able to help others, to do things for them, to see these things, you need to work, you need to do shadow work. And that was kind of weird. Like when I, when I hear shadow work or somebody's shadow, the first thing I think about is Dexter's dark passenger, which of course, um, it was a dark side that he suppressed. And, uh, in order to be able to manage it, he was taught by his father ways to be able to, um, carry out those urges that in a way that was more, um, at least in his world, more socially acceptable. He had rules that he placed. And, and if you've never watched the show, Dexter, basically he was a, a worked for a police department, uh, and he had this murderous side to him. And, but what he did is he made a point to kill people that, um, maybe law enforcement couldn't get, but he knew they had committed heinous crimes. And so for him, he was doing good deeds anyway. Now, the reality is, even though that's a very extreme version, it's kind of spot on on what you're looking at when you're talking about shadow work. Now, your your dark side or your shadow side of your personality, it doesn't necessarily mean it's evil. Um, there is some evil 
I hate to use that word. There's some things in our dark side of our personality that is primitive. Uh, there's negative human emotions. There's impulses like rage or envy or selfishness or striving for power. Um, but also on our shadow side are positive things, things that we have. We have a positive shadow, things that we have suppressed in some way because we denied that in ourself. So it's, it's kind of interesting uh, to think about it in that way. And so I want to talk a little more about it. Um, a lot of this comes from work that Carl Jung did uh, when he was working or, or developing his theory about um, human behavior and nature. And of course, he studied under Freud and as a psychoanalyst, but he also had the advantage of being a person that was... Um, in the Catholic church. And so he also spent time looking at the spiritual side and not just at the id ego or super ego or whatever, but he really looked into this shadow. Now he also talked about personas and, and what we would like to be and how we want to be seen by the world. And, and, um, really did a lot of, of work around, um, archetypes and other things. And so I could go, I could probably spend all day talking about Carl Jung. He's a very fascinating um, theorist and had some really good stuff. But what? But I looked at a book. I read a book um, called "Owning Your Own Shadow: Understanding the Dark Side of the Psyche." Uh, it was written by. Let me look here. Robert A. Johnson. So if you happen to to be looking for something uh, to read, it's a pretty quick read. I think it's about 120 pages. Really enjoyed it. But it talks about how our persona is what we would like to be and how we wish to be seen by the world. It's kind of our psychological clothing. And it mediates between our true selves and our environment. Just like our physical clothing presents an image to those we meet. And the ego is what we are and know about consciously. The shadow is that part of us that we fail to see or know. Now, the shadow is developed in many different ways, but mainly one of the ways that it is developed is through cultural training, uh, starting probably with our parents, if you grew up with parents, if not, whoever raised you, because we're taught things. We're taught that there are certain things that are um, wrong and right. We're taught uh, how to act and what to suppress. And what's interesting about that, and the reason I say cultural, is because depending on where you um, grew up, you were taught differently. So, for example, in some places, um, we you may have been told... It, different cultures have different things that they consider to be right and wrong. That's what I'm trying to say. And so... Um, I'll give a couple of examples. Let me step back uh, briefly. It's what he described in the book was what he called the civilizing process. So maybe this is a better way to kind of put it. And what it is, is we're all born whole, but our culture demands that we live out only part of our nature and refuse other parts of our inheritance. So we divide the self into an ego and a shadow. And this is our legacy. This is who we are and it's kind of how we develop. Now, there's some pieces to this that I think tie back to Carl Jung's belief about original sin and some other things, which I'm not going to get into because I think original sin is probably one of the worst doctrines that was ever placed on us by the church. But 
For example, in one country, you may drive on the right side of the road, in another the left. In the West, a man may hold hands with a woman on the street, but not with another man. But in India, he may hold hands with a male friend, but not with a woman. These are all things that were taught. In the West, one shows respect by wearing shoes in formal or religious places. In the East, it's a sign of disrespect to wear shoes when one is in a temple or house. So if you go to a temple in India with your shoes on, you would be put out or told not to come back until you learn some manners. In the Middle East, one burps at the end of a meal to show pleasure. In the West, this would be considered bad manner, manners. So you can see how we are culturally developed. We are civilized and we are taught these are the right things and these are the wrong things. Now, some of those things are good. You know, if we're taught not to hurt other people, I think that's important. If we're taught you know, uh, different ways to interact and so that we are better citizens. Those things are important. But what happens is we have this shadow side that we start suppressing things. And the more you suppress that and become unaware of its even existence, the more you find yourself leaning too far and becoming unbalanced. So an example would be someone that considers themselves very righteous and they think it's very important, like if they are a churchgoer or something and they, they really push themselves to um, making sure they don't sin, that they're always doing the right thing, that they're not greedy, that they you know love others and all this. And they keep really driving that home. Um, but what happens is there is a piece of us that is selfish. There's a piece of us that wants things for ourselves as well. And if we're not at least tending, noticing that and tending to it, then what happens is it'll pop up. It'll come up in a way that is um, very unexpected at times and maybe out of control. I think that's why sometimes people, you know, that are very, very rigid and very, very determined that they are going to live a certain way. When something kind of crumbles, you see them just kind of lose it all. Um, the way he describes the personality is kind of like a seesaw. And that is that the we have these qualities that are on the left and the right-hand side of the, of the seesaw. Let's say on the right side, for example, those are the things that are acceptable in, our, in the culture that you were raised. And these are all what he called God-given characteristics. If you don't believe in God in some form or fashion, it's at least a characteristic that we were born with. Um, I would say divine characteristics or whatever. Um, and then let's say the ones on the left side of the seesaw are the things that don't conform. So what you've done is you put everything on the right. That is you know, a cultured person has all these things on the right side. That's the righteous side. And then the forbidden things are all hidden on the left. Well, what can happen then is we can get out of balance of the seesaw. And so if that's true, then what you will see is somebody flip to the opposite of their usual behavior. So you'll see an alcoholic who suddenly becomes real fanatical in his temperance, or you'll see a conservative who suddenly throws all caution to the wind, you know, and, and just goes to the other end. And if you've ever in your own life, had a time, especially maybe in your 20s or something, when you were, you know, starting to recognize that you had your own personality and you could do your own things and didn't have to follow all the rules, you may have found yourself drive way off the deep end. Uh, I grew up in a, 
you don't drink, drinking is wrong, smoking is wrong, all those things are wrong. And I, you know, I fortunately don't have much of a of the personality or the or the characteristics of an alcoholic, but I do remember drinking more than I should have because it was like this freedom that was suddenly given to me. And so the real goal is to be balanced, you know, at this fulcrum point, that's where you, you want to be. And that means that if you've got these things in your shadow, you want to address it. And it may mean, and find a more, um, an outlet for it. And so let me give an example. Uh, I think horror movies are probably a good example. Um, if, for example, if I need, let's say I'm living a life that is fairly bland and quiet, but this shadow part of me really is um, energized or enjoys violence. Well, I've got a couple of options. One is I can go out and be violent, which of course would be not good because you're cre- you know you're you're hurting other people. But maybe watching a horror movie that has a lot of violence in it kind of satisfies that piece. Um, now that's a little bit of a lazy way to do it because we are so productive and creative that sometimes we use things like horror movies or gangster epics or violence or something or uh, you know. But but we see it a lot. I mean, if you look at the popularity, for example of true crime podcasts. People love them. Oh my God, there's like, I can't even imagine how many are out there. And part of that is because people are drawn to this kind of dark, strange thing in human, in in some people's human nature. And I think it's because that there's a little bit of a thrill there. And it tells you that there's something kind of in their shadow that is needing to be fed. Um, it's kind of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of thing. Now, when you repress your shadow, when you don't let it out, what often happens is you start seeing these negative qualities. Oh, and they can be positive too. You start seeing these qualities in other people. You start projecting. And I think it's very important. We're going to talk a lot about projection because you can use projection to also address and deal with your shadow side. Um, Projection in psychology is a ego defense mechanism that allows you to defend how you perceive yourself. So for example, and you see this every day, not only with everybody you probably come into contact with, but also yourself. The person that accuses others of being greedy when they're really greedy. The person that accuses others of cheating when they're the ones that are cheating. The person that, I mean, it's a very prevalent in our society. We see it a lot. I'm not going to call out any particular politicians because I don't want to look like I'm making this political. But often when you hear a politician, and I don't just mean a Democrat or Republican, I just mean in general, that are making accusations toward others often they're doing the very thing that they're accusing of. I will give an example from my past, which I think um, those of you that are at least my age will remember. Jimmy Swaggart, uh, who is a televangelist, um, I think he's still preaching, but he was uh, getting very, very popular. 
and was huge, being seen constantly on TV. Um, his church was big. He was raking in the money. He went through a period where he really was hammering heavily on sexual sins and hammering heavily on, um, I mean, he just, it was like, sermon after sermon where he just constantly talked about it. And, and, and what we found out was he was seeing a prostitute. So he was struggling with that sexual sin. Um, and what he was doing was projecting it on other people and accusing, judging and condemning them. Carl Jung talked about how he first determined or figured out the presence of another as he in his psyche, how he knew that there was a shadow there. He said he had a dream which both frightened and encouraged him. It was a night in some unknown place. He said he was making a slow and painful headway against a mighty wind. There was a dense fog that was flying along everywhere, and he had his hands cupped around a tiny light which threatened to go out at any moment. And everything depended on him keeping this little light alive. And so you have the wind, you have all the fog and everything. And he's just got this little light. And he had the feeling that something was coming up behind him. And he looked back and he saw a gigantic black figure following him. But at the same moment, he was conscious in spite of that terror that he must keep that little light going through the wind, and through the night and through the wind, regardless of all dangers. He said when he awoke, he realized at once that that figure was his own shadow on the swirling mist brought into light, I'm sorry, brought into being by the little light he was carrying. And he knew that this little light was his consciousness, the only light that he has. So though infinitely small and fragile in comparison with the powers of darkness, it's still a light. He said, my only light. And that's when he first became aware, and he did a lot of dream analysis, and so it makes sense that he analyzed his own dreams, but he became aware of this idea of the shadow. So when you see others and yourself as you are, you'll have a, a better lens in which to view the world. And, and again, when we're trying to look at other people and and understand them and try to find the good in them and try to figure out how we can see the divine in them, it's really hard when you're projecting things from your shadow upon them. And I think that's a big part of it. Um, this is how you can use projection. So first of all, if you're going to do shadow work, the first thing you need to do is kind of center yourself. It's important that you um, stop, stop thinking, stop processing and let yourself get centered so that you're not thinking about a hundred different things at once. You want to be in a calm, clear, neutral space. You want to be in your center and you want to be, it's going to be very easy when you're looking at yourself to be judgmental, critical, or confused. But instead what you want to do is cultivate self-compassion. You want to develop a cultivate a sense of unconditional friendliness with oneself. There's a Buddhist concept around this, and it's, it's, it's without this friendliness and self-compassion, it's difficult to look at our darker side. And so if you're hard on yourself when you make mistakes, this is going to be hell for you. So what you want to do, because we're all accustomed to feeling shame or guilt, and keep in mind because of this cultivation that we went through, where we were told what's wrong and right and what's a sin and what's not a sin and what's evil and what's good and all this kind of stuff, it's real easy that when we start looking and seeing those things in ourselves that we feel shame or guilt. 
You've got to transmute these emotions with friendliness, self-acceptance, self-compassion. So you start by accepting your own humanness. We all have a shadow. Everyone is in this together. And so pay attention to your heart. Breathe in, acknowledge that. Acknowledge, breathe in and say to your heart, thank you. Do a simple Buddhist practice of, of meditation or something that, that's really going to help you to get in a neutral space, be non-critical of yourself, and then you start looking at yourself. You can do this in, in many ways. Mindfulness meditation, that helps foster non-judgmental awareness. Look at yourself. Self-aware, self-reflect. And then you want to be courageously honest with yourself. You want to take an honest look at your attitudes, your behaviors, your dark thoughts, your emotions. And this does require courage. And record those discoveries. Now, let me give you, I've mentioned more than once how we can learn a lot from projection. The fact, and, and, and this is why this is, is difficult. If something is in your shadow, it means it's unconscious. You're not aware of it. Not only that, but if you're projecting, that is also an unconscious act. So when you hear somebody projecting on others, that's an ego defense mechanism. They're not aware they're doing. And so don't always judge people for that. They're not even aware. But what you want to do is pay attention to your behavior and your emotions. And one of the best ways that you can really identify your shadow is to pay attention to your emotional reactions toward other people. I'm going to repeat that. Pay attention to your emotional reactions toward other people. For example, you probably work with people or have people in your family or see people on TV or whatever that may be aggressive or arrogant or inconsiderate or impatient. But if you don't have those same qualities within you, you won't necessarily have a strong reaction to their behavior. Now, that doesn't mean if something's really extreme that you shouldn't. I mean, if somebody goes in, for example, and shoots children in a school, I would expect any person of normal uh, empathy or normal sympathy or anything like that to be impacted by that. But I'm talking about in your daily life. Jung said, everything that irritates us about others can lead us to an understanding of ourselves. So stop and think about that. If Think about, for example, somebody that really you have very strong feelings about. They can be either very negative or very positive. And, and I want to get that positive piece in too, because we do have positive things in our shadow. And so that's, that's important. So think about a person that may either irritate you, disturb you, annoy you, upset you, or maybe you feel attracted to them or obsessed with them or infatuated with them or very possessive about them. Choose someone right now while you're listening that you have this strong emotional charge with, whether positive or negative. Now imagine them and describe those qualities that upset you the most. And when you're doing that, when you're doing this work, you want to talk about it if you can out loud. That's why it's good to go get somewhere that's quiet and safe and, and you can express your feelings. If you like to journal, write it down. 
Um, don't calculate saying the right thing. You don't have to be nice to them. The person that you're describing is never going to see this. Okay. And so if they just irritate the fuck out of you, then just, say, just tell yourself that and, and speak about that. I'll pick a fake name, John Smith. John Smith just irritates the fuck out of me because he's so arrogant and he thinks he knows everything. He thinks he's the smartest person in the room and he talks down to everybody all the time and that drives me crazy. So as you're dialoguing about this, then talk to them as if they're there. Tell them what bothers you. John, you drive me crazy when you talk like this because you act like you're so smart, like you know so much. And ask them questions. Why are you doing this to me? What do you want from me? What are you trying to show me? What do you have to teach me? Imagine their responses. And speak that imaginary response out loud. Think through that. So John, what are you trying to show me? Why do you want, what do you want from me? And then think how they would respond. Become that person. Take on their qualities that annoy you or that fascinate you. If it's someone you're in love with or someone that you're obsessed with or someone that you look up to. Um, Jung talked about how, I think it was Jung, it was, it was the book I read, I guess it was Johnson. He talked about how like a 14-year-old may look up to a 16-year-old that they see as almost like a hero. And they get real excited about them because they seem special and they have these cool qualities and they want to be cool like them. So then they start acting like that person. Well, guess what? Then when they're 16, they have become a lot of what they saw in that person. Well, that's because in their shadow, it was already there. That's what attracted them to that person is because they had that coolness, that quality inside them, whether it was boldness or courage or, or, or whatever, just a way of carrying themselves. And then what happened is that woke that up in their shadow. So now they're 16. They're probably looking up to an 18 year old. They can look how they are, look how cool they are. We all do this. So then when you're taking these traits on, when you're taking, becoming that person, it's going to feel awkward. Um, use statements such as, I am angry, I'm jealous, I'm radiant. Fill in the blank with whatever qualities you're working with. I am this. And notice that these are qualities you probably have in yourself that you have disowned. That's harsh when you're talking about negative qualities. Like if I see someone and I say, that person is so arrogant. And then I realize Scott's arrogant and he has suppressed at least in his conscious mind that he's an arrogant person. And the reason that person, I have a reaction to them is because it touches something in me. I see something in myself in them and that's what I don't like. On the other hand, if I see somebody that's very empathetic and I look to them and say, God, I wish I had empathy like that person. That is amazing the way that they, they can feel what other people feel and they care about people so much and it, it comes natural to them. Whereas I have to make an effort to have empathy. Well, I do have that in me. It's in my shadow. That's what's attracted me to them. 
or at least what's attracted to me that to that trait or that quality. So that's how you can start looking at yourself by looking at what you project. Because if I label people lazy, undisciplined, arrogant, um, or good things, radiant, um, uh, assertive, brave, when I'm doing that, at the same time, what really is happening is I'm identifying with them because those things are down inside me. And I want to pull out those good qualities. And I want to find a way to foster them and allow myself to be brave and courageous or radiant. Um, but also the negative qualities, I have to recognize that. That there's something in me that I am not letting get fed in some way. Again, to, back to the Dexter approach, he had to feed this dark passenger. In many ways, we have to figure out. I mean, because if I've got it in there, it's going to come out at some point. Um, in, in his book, Robert Johnson talked about uh, how he had had company. And they had way overextended their stay, but he was being the good good friend. He was being the good Christian. He was being the nice guy. And he was really trying hard to um, be patient with them. When they finally left, he didn't stop and deal with that. So underneath, he was boiling. But he had on this friendly facade. And he said he went to get something to, at the store. I think he went to get wine or something. He ended up blowing up at the at the clerk at the store about something that was irrelevant, but it's because he already had all this anger inside that he had not found a way to process it and let it out and talk through it either with himself through meditation, talk to someone else about it. There, there, you know, you just can't suppress those things and leave them there. Now we've seen all through history where people have made other people bear their shadow. Men have put them on women, whites upon blacks, Catholics upon Protestants, capitalists upon uh, communists. You can name any, any group. And sometimes neighborhoods even make one family the scapegoat and they kind of bear the shadow for the entire group. You hear people talk about the black sheep of the family. Even the term the boogeyman has an origin that had to do with a person that was basically made the scapegoat for um, all the people of the community. And so, you know, and we have a lot of examples of where there has been this idea of putting all the sins on one person or whatever. And that is really just this group, you know, projection. And that's why we want to figure out how can I look at myself and work on me? And I think that's important because last time I talked about how hard it is when I talk to certain people or look at certain people to see the divine in them, to see love in them, to, to relate to them, or to even want to be kind to them. And I can't do that if I haven't taken a real honest look at myself and asked myself, what is it about me that they're pushing those buttons? And what can I do? To first make myself a better person. Because, you know, if I don't have arrogance underlying inside of me, then arrogant people, yeah, they'll be annoying, but they're not going to, they're not going to 
make me have an emotional reaction. I'm basically just going to find them to be off-putting and try to look past it. And again, there's also inside our shadow, this gold, this beauty of us, the things that we have. I mean, when you think about heroes, and even if you look at mythologies and everything else, we create these heroes, we create these gods, we create all these things that are that embody all the beauty and all the perfection of, of humankind. And that really are, is things that are inside of us that we value and we want to see but we haven't found a way for us to put that out of us and that image out there. And so I think that it's important that as we look at ourselves, that we find the good and the bad. We find what we need to address and what we need to make better and that we deal with that. Now we live in paradox we're always living in paradox, and I think that's important because if you look at religion, for example, religious values don't always go along with practical values. You know, and I'm going to go with Christianity because that's what I know best. Sell all and give to the poor. That's what Jesus said to do. Sell everything and give to the poor. But practically, owning a home and owning a car is good for me to be able to get around and be able to live. The Bible talks about giving, and yet earning is a practical value. Fasting is a religious value, but eating is a practical value. And, and there's a lot, this, the, the book kind of covers a lot of these things. Being decisive is a practical value, but ob observation is a religious value. Obedience to authority is a religious value, but freedom is a practical value. And I could go through this whole list. There's a lot of them on there, but it, it, it shows you how don't see these practical and religious values as in conflict as much as a paradox that I have to find a way to have obedience to authority while also experiencing freedom. Because when you stop and you deal with that paradox and you kind of process it, you can see that, wow, this whole seesaw of the negative and the positive that I'm trying to keep balanced and, and how does that work? that's where you can start really moving forward in your ability to see that all the things we do, life itself, our ability to transform into or to evolve into better people is by being able to live in a world of, uh, of paradox. And then when you see that, you start being able to look at an issue from both sides and allow both sides to have equal worth. And then you set your, 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 not necessarily your values, but your, your priorities based on being able to understand that worth on both sides. So I'm going to go down the political road for a minute. The concept that freedom and our ability to earn money and take care of ourselves is extremely important. But also the idea that we need to have a civilized society that also takes care of those who can't. Well, that means money is being taken away from me through taxes, for example, to help people that may not be working. That's a paradox. Because I earn that money. And yet I'm losing that money to someone that didn't earn it necessarily. 
How do I live in that? How do I find a virtuous life that recognizes that? And again, that's where you see, oh, because there's value in taking care of others, just like there is value in in being able to earn and take care of myself. Power and love. Those are paradoxical. Power without love becomes brutal. Love without power is insipid and weak. But when two people get close to each other and they're balancing that love and power out, it, it, it's, it's a dance. And if you fail, things tend to go bad. And so when you look at your shadow, that's a paradoxical thing. To say, okay, I've looked inside myself and I have some really negative things that need to be fed in some way. But that's not, that's not okay because I've been told that I can't do these bad things. So what can I do instead to be able to meet those needs? Maybe I can do it through a creative outlet. Maybe I can do it through journaling. Maybe I can do it through meditation. Um, and when I say a creative outlet, that you know, a lot of times if you look at artists, you will see that some of them are the most tortured people internally that, that we've ever seen. And they found a way to overcome that torturous thing by having a creative outlet that gave to others and gave them also the experience of creating and getting this out. Some of the best music ever done is usually by tortured artists. In fact, I'm going to use U2 as an example. If you listen to U2's music before they got big and then listen to their music after they got big, I guarantee you, you will find the music they did beforehand to be much better because it came from the soul. It came from people that looked around and saw injustice and saw pain and misery and they experienced it themselves. And that is where they wrote from. And so, you know, that there's always this paradox of how we, we live in this world of pain and suffering, yet beauty and, 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 and joy. And in the same sense, and I know I'm kind of bouncing around a little bit, but in the same sense, when you go back to the seesaw of the positive and the negative, we have to work through both. We have because the goal is peacemaking. The soul, the goal we have is to make peace in the world. That should be our main goal. I've talked about love and light peace. These things are what are truly wholesome. And to be able to do that, I have to be at peace with myself. I have to be able to understand the things in me that are not so good, but also pull out from myself the positive things, that gold that's underneath that I see in other people. So when I see somebody like, um, I don't know, some uh, Barack Obama, and I think about what a wonderful man he is, and I see this broad smile on his face, and I see this this piece about him and this authoritative way of of talking about values and I and I hear his his great you know ability to speak. Those things that touch me big, that's where I need to see, oh, is that sitting back in my shadow and I just didn't realize it? Can I also be that person? And when you think about heroes, again, you know, even superheroes, you know, people look to Superman and they're like, oh my God, look at this man. He's perfect. He's, you know, strong and he's fast and he always does justice and he makes sure things are done. Well, we're, we're projecting those things that 
may be back in the back of us. Now, I doubt if any of us can fly, but I think that we can have within us this idea to strive for justice and to be a defender of good and to try to take things, you know, in a better way. And so when you look at your shadow, understand the dark side. Understand the negative, but also understand the positive because you're trying to pull all that together. You're trying to integrate your personality, the clothes you wear on the outside with what you have on the inside. And again, I'm using projection. Um, I got that from, a, by the way, from a, a website uh, that talks about how to use projection. A guy named Scott Jeffrey wrote A Complete Guide to the Shadow and did a really good job of that because I believe that probably projection is the number one way that we can see a, a tap in very quickly. Now you can go through psychotherapy, you can go through self-examination, you can go through a lot of things to find this stuff, but if you want a quick tap in, you find somebody that drives you up the wall or find somebody that you think the world of and you look at their qualities and those are probably things you're projecting because nobody's perfect and nobody's well, there may be some pretty bad people in the world. I mean, serial killers, etc. But the average person out there that you just that makes you crazy because they just push every button you have, most likely they're pushing buttons that were already inside of you and you're just projecting that out to them because they're reminding you of it. So, doing shadow work helps you to focus in on yourself and stop judging others. And even during doing this process of stepping into their shoes and responding back to yourself helps you to develop more empathy because then you can see who they are from their perspective. That I hope is the first step in becoming more of a person that is showing light and showing love and really starting to find the good in everybody in some way, some form, some fashion. Dr. Jung's favorite story, Carl Jung's favorite story, went something like this. The water of life, wishing to make itself known on the face of the earth, bubbled up in an artesian well and flowed without effort or limit. People came to drink of the magic water, and they were nourished by it since it was so clean and pure and invigorating. But humankind was not content to leave things in this kind of state. Gradually, they began to fence the well, charge admission, claim ownership of the property around it, make elaborate laws as to who could come to the well and put locks on the gates. Soon the well was the property of the powerful and the elite. The water was angry and offended. It stopped flowing and began to bubble up in another place. But the people who owned the property around the first well were so engrossed in their power systems and ownership that they did not notice that the water had vanished. They continued selling the non-existent water, and few people noticed that the true power was gone. But some dissatisfied people searched with great courage and they found the new artesian well. Soon that well was under the control of the property owners, and the same fate overtook it. The spring took itself to yet another place. And this has been going on throughout recorded history. It's a sad story, and Jung was particularly touched by it since he saw how a basic truth can be misused and subverted into an egocentric plaything. Science, art, particularly psychology, have suffered from this process. But the wonder of the story 
is that the water is always flowing somewhere and is available to any intelligent person who has the courage to search out the living water in its current form. Now, water has become a symbol for deep spiritual nourishment of humanity. And I think if you also place this story in a Christian sense or a religious sense, you'll see the same thing. When Jesus first started to speak and get attention and noticed, one of the things people said, a person said was, what good could come out of Nazareth? Now, we see Nazareth now as like the Holy Land, the birthplace of the Savior. But during the biblical times, it was like the wrong side of the tracks. Okay, It was the least likely place to find something special. And people failed to find their, their living water because they are not prepared to search in unusual places. So when Jesus came along and they said, what good could come out of Nazareth? That was a picture of what Jung's story was. And that is this beauty, this wonder, this spiritual, powerful thing. You're not going to find it in a power system that's owned and operated by people. Sounded like a perfect description of the church. You know, they continued selling the non-existent water and didn't didn't even notice the power was gone and it was already somewhere else. In the same sense, if we keep looking for that water, if we as people keep looking for the divine in unusual places we don't expect, including people we don't expect to see it in, that's where you're going to find it. That's where you're going to meet God in the truest sense. Those are my observations. Thank you for listening. Well, that's another episode of Observations from Life. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out my website at www.obsfromlife.com. You can find information on past episodes, people who have appeared on the podcast, as well as a merch store. Until next time, this is Scott. Thank you so much for listening.